Okay, and we're back. And we're back. How are you? I'm, I have to tell you that this entire program went beyond what I thought we were going to do. Um, you have put a mirror in front of my face and you've showed me facets of myself I'd never considered before. I pride myself on the truth always, no matter what. Um, but I just realized that I don't always live that. There are places within me that I have established as truth without taking the time to really examine if the narrative I've been telling myself is true or not. Or useful. I, I definitely know that a lot of the narratives that I've been telling myself are not useful. They're actually self-destructive. They keep me in a place where I'm continually surviving through pain. When, when I talk about life and, and relationships and the power of the human condition, like the human condition is always like, oh, that's the human condition. We all suffer from the human condition. But the power of the human condition is untapped and unrealized and unexplored for the most part. And anybody that would suggest what you suggest in a very tactful uh, Mary Poppins way, um, <laughs> it's, it's mind-blowing. I was saying how science says that we're made from stardust, right? We're each unique snowflakes. We fall from the same sky. I am convinced that there is an energy that has no beginning and has no end because energy doesn't end. Energy changes form. It never ceases to be. <clears throat> and we are beings of energy. I stopped seeking out the religious scholars for answers in my life. There was a time when I did that. I thought that's what I needed to understand what it means to be a Jew. You know, I, I, I joined this ministry. Um, it's, a, it's an online ministry. But the tagline of this is that we're all children of the same universe. And I believe that. On the back of my business card, it has all religious symbols, all the main religious symbols, there's like six of them or seven of them, um, including the atheist one. I forget which one that is. Um, but it even has the homosexual one. It's like a triangle, a red triangle or something like that. Um, but these are all the groups that humanity breaks themselves in, up into. And, and that just gives cause to consider one group better than another, depending on what group you're in. And what I didn't want to do is classify myself or categorize myself based on my, you know, heritage, my, uh, my genealogy, you know, um, I feel a sense of responsibility to carry on the Raven name, um, which is a big thing. Cause if I was the last bloodline Raven, my cousins are adopted. My brother is not my father's child. I, I was it. Until my son was born, the Rabin name would have died with me. And I come from a line of Holocaust survivors and non-survivors. So uh, I'm going to show you something freaky. Incredible. Wow. This is my Uncle Leo and my Aunt Gitta. Um, both of them lost their spouses and their children in the Holocaust. They met at a, um, a determent camp. After the concentration camp, they went to this place where they stayed, uh, and they they got married. They came to the States and um, 
had children and have a family and everything, um, I saw the number on my aunt's arm on a Passover Seder when I was eight. Anyway, I won't go into that long story, but the guy that I'm named after, my great uncle, uh, was captured and gassed by the Germans. He was, uh, he was an American, obviously. He was an American and he fought, uh, wait a minute, what I meant to show you was my daughter, because this is a picture of, this is a project that my daughter did, my oldest daughter, Sayla, but to just kind of show you she was doing a thing on the holocaust oh my goodness show me that picture again please these are children obviously in the whole they're just skin bones basically they're so they're yeah they're naked they're um they look like skeletons with faces basically and skin on them oh my goodness um what she wrote on this is most people would let a traumatic experience affect them negatively however that is not the case with holocaust survivors the Jews who survived the Holocaust choose to have a more positive outlook on life because nothing could be as bad as what they endured. <clears throat> this is my Uncle Leo and my Aunt Gitta. And then my daughter Sayla quoted me. Even after all that happened, he was... It's hard for me to read this. He was always smiling. I never met two happier people. And then she wrote my dad talking about my grand, my great uncle Leo and great aunt Gitta. Um, this, hold on, can you see? That's a picture of Anne Frank. Just remember that, right? You can always Google a picture of Anne Frank. Yeah, I know. When I send you a picture of my daughter Hannah, you're going to think it's Anne Frank reincarnated. And I got to tell you, she has the spirit of Anne Frank, if you ever read that diary. Um, you know, in spite of it all, I believe everyone's good at heart. And she's like, to, to live what she lived through and to say that about Nazis takes an incredible amount of insight that she was 14 when she wrote that, I think, 13 or 14. It, it's true that, you know, um, Jews, when they name their children, you're naming them, it's almost like you're putting, you're speaking a character on their life, right? You're, you're not creating their character, but you're, you're imprinting their nature in their name. We named Hannah, Hannah Jeru Shalom. But Hannah's name translated into English means um, gracious vision of peace. And that's exactly what she is. She will give everybody the benefit of the doubt a million times if that's what it takes for them to come around. And she, she will, she'll put herself out there and she'll say, I'm never doing it again. I'm never doing it again. But if the person says, I'm really sorry, please forgive me. She's like, oh, it's okay. Sayla's name is Sayla Anna Taylin. And what that means is pause and meditate on the gracious book of prayer, which is not something she does. She followed my road. She took all the mistakes that she heard about me and then did them. <laughs> right? So I was like, Sayla, the reason why I told you all my mistakes is that you would, you would make new ones. But not the ones that I made. Make new ones. What were you saying? Why did I show you that? I showed you that because, oh, why do you call it a mistake? Why do I call what a mistake? 
you say the mistakes that you've made. Well, I'm talking about what I did to my back, you know, um, drug use. I'm talking about, like, the mistakes that I've made in my life. The drug use you don't regret at all, and you describe them as some of the most brilliant moments of your life. So when you say that the drug use, you you don't regret at all, and you enjoyed it very much. It's not a mistake, in whose opinion? Who's speaking when you speak? I'm sorry. Just because I enjoy something doesn't mean I I, I don't regret it. Um, My drug use when I was a kid was excessive. And I'm I'm lucky that I have the brain that I have because I did so much acid and snorted so much meth that people that have done half of what I did don't have their minds. I'm not really sure what I can attribute that to. I consider myself blessed. I don't know if my energy, I, I don't know. I, I don't even want to kind of guess at it. But So I want to ask you, when we paused the recording and we spoke privately, and now that you're back, I'm just interested, your pain your physical pain after having an emotional release, where, where are you at now? You know, I never like the number scale because it doesn't adequately, it doesn't adequately, it doesn't really tell the story. Um, but I would say when I came back from my walk, I was at about an eight. And I would say like right now, I really wouldn't know, I, I don't know what to say. I, I haven't really felt like this before. Good. I can say that I feel, I feel my pain. I I don't feel surrounded by it. I usually feel like I am, like I'm the peanut and the shell is the pain. And right now I feel like the nut is sitting next to the shell. If that makes any sense, my pain is next to me. It's not surrounding me. That's amazing. So, I, so can I? I'm going to credit someone. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to credit somebody. James Ellis Ford a personal trainer, he told me, I'm experiencing anxiety, I, I am not anxiety, so it's not, it, it, if I say I am anxious, I am owning that as an identity, whereas if I say I'm experiencing anxiety, his, his idea was, it's, there's a distance there, so you're more in control, it's a per- perception thing. And that really helped me when he did that. And that resonates. I mean, I I can feel that. So it's like 10,000 spoons where all you need is a knife. Is, it, is that the song? The lyric? Alanis Morissette, I believe. So listen, you've done really well today. Thank you so much. Well, it's my first time. <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask you, is this exhausting for you? No. Do, do you... What is your inward struggle? Does, does mapping a path out of the minutia of people's chains that they wrap themselves into a, a way of you unbinding yourself or not paying attention to the chains you might clamp and bind yourself with? Oh, I, you I, was- that's interesting. I, I don't know. I When I'm listening to someone's story, firstly, I feel very privileged to be in a position of trust, non-judgment, and I'm just giving the person a space to just be and so I feel very privileged and you know I I am watching somebody and 
breathing their story, you can't buy that. For once in that person's life, you're walking the steps of their life. And I'm just deeply intrigued as to the reasons and the turns and the delicacy. And if he turned left or right, his life would have been different. He did this. And, and actually, NLP training or psychology training is one thing. But really, what helps me understand the motivations behind anyone's decisions is method acting. So the Stanislavski method of acting, looking at the character. I'm deeply fascinated with why did you do that? Why? But why? You know? And even when we uh, earlier got to the point of why, there was yet another why underneath that. And then we why went... Why is a never-ending... It's a never-ending journey, I think. Much earlier in this conversation, you were really into the whole egg, sperm, conception, fascination. Are you in my head right now? Because I just almost went back to that. We never finished it. The light that happens, the explosion that happens when a sperm fertilizes an egg, it begins with that, a brilliant flash of light. They can explain that away and say whatever they want. I believe that's the origin of consciousness. Traveling from the metaphysical into the physical realm. And the series of cell division that happens and then arms, and everything's forming, right? The body becomes formed. We, we don't remember our birth. We don't remember anything prior to our birth, but there is an existence prior to that as evidenced by the sperm and the egg. When I listen to science explain that, they just sound like a bunch of guessing. It's just a, we see it happening. We know it happens. We don't know exactly what is going on when that flash of light happens. And then I say, well, death, what we deem death and illness is just a progression of the life that happens before we were born. Right. Some people think that life begins at conception. I believe that life began prior to conception. They say that when a baby is born, it has to choose to breathe air because we breathe liquid. It, it, it has to make a decision to use its lungs for air. We don't know what a consciousness inside an infant is like. Because we associate intelligence with the ability to understand things or to articulate things. We measure that way. When we say this is the right way to think and then we classify everybody else that doesn't think that way or processes information differently as other than what we see as the norm of intelligence, then we block ourselves from understanding exactly what is development like for them. Exactly. There's neurodiversity. There is no ultimate Aryan authority of how to be, live, breathe, look, and think. We all have our different, warped, skewed, biased view of the same stuff. We just hope that we can communicate with, with language to try and connect. But I, I believe that we're all not normal to some degree. To, to, to think... We have evidence that something happens at conception that doesn't happen at any other time. The only, the only thing that we can see that's close to the Big Bang is an egg being fertilized. 
And I think if we examine that more and the journey of evolution that happens from the the first cell division to where like I am now, my body's still changing. I'm still developing. Uh, it's just not on a micro level, you, but to some degree it is. There's an evolution that took place tonight where a connection was made between how I view my past and its relevancy in my, in my present and where that has the capability of taking me in the future. It has completely overhauled my thinking has been unprogrammed because I pride myself on saying I'm unlimited in my potential, but then in my very next breath, I will limit myself in what my capabilities are because of the disease that I suffer from, which you very succinctly pointed out. I am my own worst storyteller. And that, that speaks to, you know, owning the narrative of your life and writing your own story. But it also speaks to a greater truth, which is, Write your life carefully and and take good care at the colors that you use to paint your life with because you're not only telling yourself the story, but everyone that meets you reads your story. And in one way or another, you're going to affect how they tell their story and how they pass your story on. We're all connected in that way. So I think what you said tonight was brilliant. You said it with a lot fewer words than, I, than I've, I've ever used in my life. You're very good at what you do. You talk about empowerment. You, you talk about the key to life being within the, the locked treasure chest of each individual. And that to get the key, you have to figure out how to unlock that box without a key. That's a human Rubik's Cube. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Not just a joke. I mean, you're, you're very empowering. I, I don't see myself as a guru. I just I'm trying to help people figure themselves out. Here's here's my issue. I am not the guru. There's a top down that I don't like. You are the guru, and I am your humble servant. I'm your butler. I'm your butler. I, literally, that's how I see it. I see you're the you're the star of the show here. You are speaking, and I'm here serving you drinks. Would you like this question next? Would you like this one? I, and you're the expert of your... You are the ultimate authority on you. No doctor, no nutritionist, no some random woman from London, no one, not your parents, no one. You are the ultimate authority on you. You tell me how your next 10 years are going to pan out. But because before that accident happened, what you thought your future was going to be, and then a change of events occurred, and you rewrote your future... I'm inviting you to go back and start again and now write your future for the next 10 years with a new pen. This is the valuable part of what you do, is that you get people to walk on a tightrope without a net because the only way they're going to fall is if they choose to fall. There is no tightrope. There is no floor. There is no fall, right? Your whole thing is about soaring. And if you're not soaring, then um, you're just not moving. You're stagnant. If anybody's going to bring, if anybody's going to get any value from what it, it is that you do, because what you do is listen. You don't instruct. 
You listen, you let people talk, you remember what they say, and then you feed it back to them and ask them, does that make sense? And you don't do it like that. You don't go, this is what you said. Now, do you really mean that? Does that really make sense? That the way that you couch it is you said this, but then you said that. So like, which one do you think is a more useful truth? I mean, oh my God, what a tool that is. That is such a non-threatening way to point out to a person that like, you said these two things with equal passion and equal conviction. So my only question is, which one do you really believe? Which one is the truer conviction in your heart? And if you're going to put a period at the end of that sentence, when you answer it, understand that the answer to this question is going to dictate the trajectory of your life. So carefully consider the choice that you make. Like is someone on the other side of this quote unquote interview, which doesn't feel like that, if and you know, I don't know I don't know what this is gonna sound like played back. I'm sure you're gonna to listen to it, but to me it feels like we've known each other for years. We're talking like old friends. Some way, somehow, the energy that connects us all finds a way to use us to make sure that we're steered on the right course, that we're on the right path. I don't know who will hear this, but anybody that is struggling not to struggle, right, that is trying to go on a diet from suffering, to get suffering out of their daily nutritional needs, right, um, and to live a life of purpose that they themselves define and only they author. And once we make the choice, whether it turns out good or turns out bad, there shouldn't be a regret. And you're right. It's like I spend so much time thinking. And the energy that I put into thinking about what I am and where I've come from, even though there's a lot of good thoughts there, it's, it's, it's wasted energy on analysis of the past that can't change. What would be useful Same use of the energy then? If I take in everything I know that is true that happened to me tonight through a self-realization guided by you, then I either believe anything is possible or nothing is. It's possible to inspire a generation to become more than what it is. But that has to first begin within the individual. The individual has to believe they're more than what they are. I don't want to sound like Martin Luther, but I have a dream that it is possible for every human being on the face of this planet to be working together to ensure that nobody on the face of this planet has to go hungry, ever. That the wealth of every nation can be shared with every other nation so that nobody lacks anything. You know, I got kids and I want to raise a family and I want the goodness in life. And I don't want to spend it struggling for other people's purposes. You know, I'm going to test this theory out. The worst thing that will happen, the least thing that I'll accomplish is I will live a life pain-free. I know that that's possible. I don't have any doubt. Tonight has cured me of that. But it is, a, it is a collaboration, and it couldn't have happened without me, right? You're right about that, but you were the catalyst for that change. There's no denying that. And I, I receive it, and I accept it, I believe it, and I will live it. And I need to stop underestimating the power of me so that when I'm communicating to somebody else like you've communicated to me, I can help them not underestimate the power within them. Each power is unique. But together, everybody combined their energy towards the same purpose. We would change the world. It wouldn't just be a song. It would, it would be real.
I'm depressed and excited at the same time. I, I think I found the perfect balance. It would be too good just to experience happiness in its pure form. Yeah, I'm too Jewish for that. Yeah, I can't do that. You're not, you're, you're not ready for ultimate joy and ultimate... You, you need you know, the option. I don't know if it's pride or humility. I, I'm starting to think that it's pride, but I, I can be honest. I know exactly what I'm thinking. I think it's habit. It's, it's more personal you... and shameful than that. It's, it is thinking you're not that good to accomplish that thing. What, you? That's what I think. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's have a look at what you disclosed to me in the confidence of the, the break. Your, your life story and your life plan is pretty ingenious. You succeeded at what you set out to do. Yes, I did. You're right. I mean, Anne Frank would be proud. <laughs> yeah, you know, why is it? Why is it that self-destructive behavior is so easy to accept? We can be so successful in our self-destructive behavior. I, I, I believe it's habit. You know, if you expect pain, you'll find it. And if you expect success, you'll find it. That sounds quite How juicy. far into that journey are you? Could you tell me a little bit about what what that has produced in your life that's different than than where you were prior to this to adopting this philosophy? So I I guess I realize that my character, my personality, is made up of a series of thoughts, feelings, beliefs, which gave me my decisions and I have to be with me all the time. You, you only, you can switch off or not meet me. Or I'm, I'm here all the time. And how can I make this more manageable? I need to make it work. I'm interested in fixing, not what's broken, but optimizing. How can it be better? Let's use your your frames of reference that you like. Our our physics. So energy cannot be created or destroyed, but it can be channeled into something very useful. Now, earlier, we were talking about the pain and feeling the pain and every inch of the pain, and how it splits inside the bone and we open the bone and the flesh and the blood and the tears and the sweat and the agony and we must feel this. Thing. So this is some sort of, um, you know, some people are into, the, into pain and maybe that's, that's your thing. But, but maybe... <laughs> Maybe that was your last decade. Maybe try try the pleasure thing for the next 10 years and see what works out, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's optional. It's an optional extra that you can now unsubscribe from and subscribe to something that's going to serve you much better. We all have to cultivate our garden and find the soil and find the water and find the friends. Give your body what it needs and nothing that it doesn't need. And that goes for no processed food because it's made... It's made with an agenda that wasn't intended to nurture you and nourish you. It was made with an agenda to uh, keep you hooked. The sugar, the salt, the fat, it activates your dopamine receptor. So it's really a drug. If we're saying it uses the same pathways as cocaine, then junk food is, is a drug like, like any other drug, but it's legal, which I find very questionable. So... I say no processed food, no processed thoughts, and no processed people. So I am entirely responsible of my thoughts. And if I, if I just hold a detox, because we're, we're all rehabbing from something. We're, we're all born, and we all have to become. It's not what must I eat, what must I do. It's who must I become 
to make being the best version of me a more natural thing, a, a more automatic thing, rather than something I have to put on my my special suit to, to to be. You know, we have to be better tomorrow than we are today, and we are all on our own personalized journey. So, do you uh, do you like you? Yeah, I I actually like me quite a bit. I also hate a lot of parts of me, but they've they've been very useful for me. So I've chosen to keep them in. I like understanding why I do things. So I don't really care. Do I like? Do I not like? Do I judge? Do I not judge? I like to understand well, why. Why do you do that? Why do you snap in those situations? Why do you um, help? in those situations. What, what drives that? Is it your mum, your dad, your culture? We are in control of way more than we think we are. We just need to become more conscious. I guess my aversion to processed food is if we are training ourselves to be receptive to this dopamine responsive, then, then we're allowing ourselves to be hooked on something. That, and I, I don't know, I have this feeling that it doesn't help me be a more conscious person. So it's not about religion or spirituality, but I want to be a more conscious person. Is that what drives you to help other people? Do you find that through helping other people sort through the messes that they made up of their thought processes and how they set rules for themselves in that chaotic thinking that causes them to wind up in habitual messes? Helping them come through that in a way, does that help you sort out your own? Is that a process for you? All I can describe it is I couldn't wait to leave Malta. I found it very oppressive. I didn't negate religion, but they didn't give me the answers I needed. I knew there was something. But I left when I was 17. I couldn't wait. And I went to Edinburgh. And really, it was a breath of fresh air. So when you're allowed to just be and explore yourself and have that adventure and discover the marvelousness that, that is you and you're no longer controlled or repressed, you know, there's nothing like seeing somebody break free from oppression and the religion or whatever it is. Or, and, and it's not about um, being hedonistic or, or not being spiritual. It's just about... Um, making it more personalized to you you know when you were growing up and you needed somebody to help you with your laces in that moment it was whoever was around you at that time whether it was your carer or mum dad brother sister aunt uncle that person helped you through that stage i'm trying to put the care back into healthcare. how is it that you're able to bring up conversations that speak directly to very fixed point memories in my life. It's astounding. It's unnatural unless you're so plugged in that the unnatural has become your natural because you're, you just talked about laces and immediately I remembered uh, one of my babysitters. Her name was Debbie. She passed away a few years ago. Um, I thought she was so much older than me, but she was like 13 or 14 years old. She came from North Philly Projects. Black family poor, very poor, rich in love. And uh, look at your face lights up. How they treated each other. Well, this family is really important to me because I was a white Jew from the suburbs. They were a black family living in the projects and I felt more comfortable there than I felt in my own home. 
we only learn from what we perceive as the smartest humans. But the bar should be higher than that because the proof of this experiment is that as smart as humanity is, it certainly isn't smart enough. We've messed up the planet and we, we mess each other up. I don't rest. It's, it's hard for me to find rest. It's hard for me to turn my brain off and, and I want to. I want to just stop thinking. But I'm a thinker. Thinking is not my problem. It's putting my thoughts in the right places, putting it to use. The, the energy that I use to analyze the past doesn't do me any good. The energy should be used to analyze the future before I arrive there. And people talk about time travel being impossible. It's not. The idea is to create your future before you arrive there so that your future doesn't become the past that you regret. Well, it's also not and a surprise. The future is as expected. Right. It should be on purpose. Sometimes when I lay here by myself, my thoughts in my head say, you know what, Aaron, you're just full of shit. It's just, these are stories you tell yourself to make yourself feel better about who and what you are and where you're at. And, and why would that be such a bad thing anyway? Even if it was. It, it's not that it's a bad thing. I, I really, you know, another thing I've learned is, is to stop thinking in terms of good and bad. Because um, if it wasn't for the bad, we wouldn't know what good was. Some things are just is, which is bad English. That's, my, that's the point, yeah. That's the point I'm trying to make, is that... There's no moral judgment on absolutely everything. You, sa you said earlier that we're not smart enough. I think we're smart enough. I think what you're identifying is you're not happy with the value system that we are operating. I, I don't think we deploy our intelligence in the proper way. Do you? I, Let's start with you. Because no, I don't. I have not. I thought I did. Until tonight, or last night, bleeding into today, I really did. I thought that considering my life, which you know a good portion of now, all things being considered, I've done extremely well to get to where I am at this point. But I thought as far as I could go was 10 miles, and I made it nine. And that's pretty damn close, and that's a good achievement. I didn't spend enough time going, well, why didn't, why didn't I make it that extra mile? Because I'm a why person. I've been asking why since I was four years old. And I'm all about the why. Um, because it's a never-ending conversation. And the more we figure out why, then we can figure out the what so that we don't ask why after it. Because it just is. Most of the time that I ask myself why, in, in situations, it's because I've done something or I've said something and I go, why? Why? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Because it's so counter to what I really am inside. But if I was more thoughtful and considerate of myself, if I gave myself the credit that I really deserve and didn't tell myself a whole bunch of useless bullshit like Aaron, get your ego in check. It's not an ego that says I, I, I'm better than what I am that I'm more than what I think that I am. And that as unlimited as my potential is, it's, it's more than that. To believe that your first instinct and your first desire can be a reality 
and then not live any every single moment trying to make that reality to manifest that reality that is wasted energy you know there is an explosion of creativity over the last 150 years it's unbelievable I'm talking to you, we take this for granted, I'm talking to you on a device that's not connected to anything. And we know that light moves faster than sound, right? So how is it that the image, which is light, and the sound that's coming out of my mouth is perfectly synced? It's amazing. Light and sound is traveling from Nebraska to London like that now there's a slight delay but it's unnoticeable between you and i and we're not plugged in here it's traveling through the air now there was a time when i could pick up the telephone and dial weird digits to reach you but still i'm plugged into the wall but how does the voice travel and get to your ear well i'm sure some scientists can explain how that happens but that's like explaining a rainbow a rainbow is just light refracted through water. Okay, that's great, but still, look at the fucking colors. It's just wonderful. And, and the colors that we see are not the only colors that exist. It's just our limited range of eyesight. But if we live for the why, we're making it not that simple. You can't help but ask why, though. I know a lot of people that do not think, like they have an oh well type attitude. Oh well. And I wish I could be that. I, I'm not made that way. I go, well, why did I do that? And I go, well, do I want to do that again? No. How can I avoid doing that again while by doing this? I don't just want to stop here. Answer is to redirect and create, right? Not, it's not about not making mistakes. It's about being more purposeful. Conscious. Failure is a part of success, so I don't really get hung up there. I get I get tossed in my own apathy. That's that's where I struggle with myself the most is when I realize that well, I've become apathetic in this area, um, and I need to do something about that. Do, do you know what I mean? So the apathy is because the reasons to live are not as strong. Why do we have apathy if we have gratitude? The thing is, you know, you said just now, that's the way I am, or, you know, all of these sort of self-defining moments. And only you can define yourself. I don't know, I've just seen so much, so many wonderful things and so many awful things that there's such a fragility to life and... I'm very interested in throwing myself into the muck of life and seeing how I react and learning about this mad psyche that I have. And, um, you know, being equally impressed and disgusted all in the same time. It's, it's, you know, the human condition. It's interesting. I think it's very interesting. I find people interesting. I also find them very daunting and expectations I struggle with. Mm. So, wait, your own or others on you? Uh, others on me. So last night I disappointed somebody absolutely massively. I didn't look at the phone. Uh, there was an invitation for dinner. People don't like being rejected. So yeah, do you? 
do I like being rejected? I think I think I'm actually going to be bold enough and say that I actually believe that I am more comfortable than I think at being rejected because I see it as I just want my people and my tribe and uh, and if somebody unsubscribes for me, then they've saved me the hassle of screening. That's a good point. So, I um, yeah. When you when you do acting and and singing and dancing, you're constantly being scrutinised and auditioning for for your looks and who you are, and you're chosen or not chosen based on a number of features that are uh, with your control. So you sort of go with that and you don't take it personally and I think that's been very rewarding is that what you, this is the second time you've said that and I, I've actually caught it this time so you you are you act dance you, you you choreograph that kind of thing I used to I don't do that now why did you stop doing that um my father told me you need to do something serious like IT you're never going to make any money doing that yeah I got told the same thing do you know when I quit? What? My band, this was in 96. Yeah. Uh, I was working at this place, the attorney, um, and I would kind of hang out and talk. And then you were talk- we were talking about music, and he was showing me pictures of like him hanging around with Frank Sinatra and Connie Francis and those people. And he said, do you have a demo? And I said, well, yeah. He said, can I hear it? I said, okay. So I gave him a tape, and he said, listen, I got a friend that's a concert promoter. He said, do you mind if I send it to him? I said, no, you can send it to him. Now, I didn't know who he was sending it to, but it turned out this guy had something to do with Sheryl Crow's first headlining tour. Wow. And my, they, he needed, they needed a, an opening act for, for the six-month leg, I don't know, on what side of the country. He called me in his office one day. He had this promoter or whoever this guy was on the phone, and he let me hear him. He put on the speakerphone, and he said, if they're as good live as they are on this tape, they can have the gig. And he, he like, put the guy on mute, and he said, um, when is your next gig? So I told him we were playing at a place in Torrance, California, called Looney's. And so he said, they're playing here on this date. And he said, I'll come out. So we're rehearsing for this gig. We had a song called Promises. It's a really great song. And um, I remember that I had, I was very religious back then. Anyway, uh, I remember sitting there and I had this impression that, I even hate to admit this now, but I felt like God was asking me. Aaron, if you had a choice between your music career and a family, which one would you choose? I didn't hesitate. Uh, Family. I would give up music for a family in a heartbeat. And music was my passion. Two years later, I'm married and find out that we're three months pregnant with our first daughter. And we're sitting and we're going through this song, Promises. And in the middle of the song, I remembered that experience that I said I would choose a family over music. I dropped my sticks midway through the song and I said, I got to take a break. I smoked cigarettes. I was still smoking cigarettes. And I said, I got to have a cigarette. 
So uh, I go outside and I start crying because I realize I got to quit. I got to quit music. Because my thinking back then was I can't take my pregnant wife on a tour bus for six months and I don't want to miss my child being born. And in music, if you're starting a music career at the same time you're starting a family, one of those is going to suffer. You're either not going to be there for your family and, you know, that's bad. Or your full attention is not going to be on your music career, and that's bad. One of them is going to suffer, so you got to make a choice. And then I remembered that impression. If you had to choose between a music career and a family, which one would you choose? Family. I went in. I had never told them. I, you know, I was supposed to tell them about the gig after the promoter. I was supposed to tell them about that after practice. And I never told them second worst thing I ever did was what I'm going to tell you now. I told them that I quit. I said, look, we're three months pregnant. Um, I got to cut my hair and get a real job. I can't, I can't do the lighting industry anymore. I make $36,000 a year. I'm in California. I got to make some serious cash. So I quit. Then I went to work the next day. I'm sorry, Monday. And um, I told that attorney to call his friend and told him the band broke up, so tell him that the gig's off. We had the gig. They didn't come out. The band never knew the difference, and I never told them. Uh, well, I did a few years ago, but what I could not take is if, if I didn't go on that tour, right, but they did and they made it, I would not have been able to live with that. I would always be thinking, oh, that could have been me. Even though I made the choice. Oh, that's no, interesting. I know. Even though I made the choice... And it seems noble that I chose a family over a music career. Um, I really destroyed the chances of that band really going going on a national tour because I couldn't stomach my band going on the tour without. As long as they never made it, I would be okay with not making it. I finally confessed that to them, you know, 10 years after the fact. But, you know, it's weird that we have... I'm sorry, that I have in me that capability to, to be the opposite of what I really want to be. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah, fire away. So, look, before you said you preferred being with that family because you never felt quite comfortable with your own family. True. And that is what I identify with. And what I think I have found, if I had to put an insight, and I get various clients from various different backgrounds, but that is probably the one common insight. And that's why I say it's the power of being understood, because on some level, we never quite fit in. Either because we were the only Jew in the village, or because we were, you know, the Italian person who came to London on his own and has to make it in the city alongside a bunch of English people or the Indian person who doesn't want to follow the family's footsteps and become yet another pharmacist or the daughter who actually wants a career and doesn't want to have kids or, you know, the, the people who have made uh, non-ordinary, whatever that is, decisions. And all of the people I mingle with are absolutely extraordinary. You're extraordinary. You're an absolute extraordinary person. And, and the thing is, extraordinary people see other extraordinary people and appreciate them. Whereas That's true. 
uh, how often have you people have looked at you like you're an alien? Well, right now in this small Midwestern town, they definitely look at me like that. But uh, as different as I always was, I was always liked. I. But that was important to you. I've always been a very strict editor. A very strict what? Editor. But I've always curated carefully the people around me. I don't know why. I think, like, if there was a party and people were laughing, Guy was in the center of that making them laugh. Um, and Or doing something that was entertaining people. When I wasn't doing that, when I was in my own head, people would always ask me, what's wrong? They're like, nothing's wrong. I just don't feel like doing that. But you always do that. So what's wrong? I don't know. You asked me, like, is, is being liked important to me? And it's really, it's not, it's not being liked. I want to be accepted regardless of somebody liking me or not. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people where you either love me or you hate me. There very, very few people will say, yeah, he's okay. You know, he's either, you know, wow, he's a good guy or he's an asshat. You know, it's like, it's one of those. An asshat. An asshat, yeah. You know, somebody with their head up their ass. Oh. Um, I'll make a note. (laughs) But it is, I'm not, I'm the only one of me, but I'm not the only one of this type of human. That's correct. That. This type of human, we have a compassion that doesn't need to receive compassion. So whether someone has compassion on me or not doesn't dictate whether I have compassion on them. Like, I don't, I I don't believe all relationships need to be equitable. Yeah, because most aren't. And if you look for that, you set yourself up for disappointment. The only really good thing my mother ever taught me that stayed with me. I remember I was dating this girl. I still talk to her today. We're still really good friends. Probably she was the second love of my life, I would say. So pretty. I mean, absolutely beautiful. But back then, man, just dumb. (laughs) I mean, if it wasn't about hair, nails, and makeup, she really didn't have an opinion. Um, Close shoes, you know obviously, which was very frustrating for me um, because I I need input. I need, I've always needed some kind of like mental stimulation. Yeah. I need to be challenged. I can't, I can't have somebody agreeing with me because I make a good point because not all my points are good ones. You know, some of them are just, you know, they're just points. I need to be challenged because then I grow. If, if I'm the smartest person in the room that I'm in, I've got to find a different room. I, I annoy myself that way. I'm, I'm really like happy, it. actually, on that front. So, so I, 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 I didn't realize that there was some people are smart, some people aren't. I, I just sort of didn't notice until, <laughs> until I was getting really annoyed. And, then, and now, now, in Harley Street, I'm, I'm the dumbest person there. I'm surrounded by amazing professors, surgeons, experts, consultants, and it's great. And I, they know so much. And I, I, it's so nice being the inferior person in the room. Well, because you soak all that up. I love you, it. You're, you're constantly 
I have never I, felt like an airhead in my life. It's brilliant. <laughs> like, um, it's great. I, I really, it's such, it's so refreshing for me. Instead of having to fake being thick on a date, you know, it, it, it's, it's so painful. And it really is. Did you say fake being sick or thick? Thick. You have to fake being thick. Oh, because an intelligent woman is a threat to a man? Is that I don't what you're know. It just, does, it just doesn't bode well for a nice evening, apparently. Look, I've done well. I mean, I've, I do have an intelligent woman appreciation society, and that's assuming I'm intelligent, of course. But then, you know, there are, there are people who don't appreciate um, a woman who has views on absolutely everything. Okay, so I have a question for you. When you're in, well, I'm in that mode all the time, but when you live in that mode, don't you find that relaxing? Isn't that your relaxation? When you're living your purpose, it's not work. You'll know you're with the right energy when you feel more energy when you leave that meeting. And that's relaxing. To me, that's where I find it Look, if you notice that nothing that we were talking about through the course of this conversation has been easy, except for the jokes, right? But the, the jokes were ancillary to the main points that we've been discussing are very raw and, and, and naked truths about me, you know? Um, Which you've been very brave and courageous. I gotta say, I've always been this way because my philosophy is that most people are afraid of who they are within themselves, let alone exposing that to other people. So I've always thought if I if I step out there and I just like, you know what, I don't mind this one. I'll, I'll tell you something I remembered recently that I had long forgotten. A lot of things happened in camp, but I was seven when I first went to camp. And what's interesting is that this was a Jewish camp. So there's no anti-Semitism in a Jewish camp. I had this counselor, his name was Brett. There's a, you know, I didn't, I had long forgotten how traumatizing this event really was, but uh, we would take a shower and you'd come out of the shower with a towel wrapped around your, your waist, you know? And then we're in a bunk and the bunk has rafters. And he was picking people up and having them reach up to the rafters and having them grab on. So I was like, I want to try. So I, you know, I was like, me next, you know, and, and I reached my hand up and he put me on the rafter, right? And I'm holding onto the rafter. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to come down. He wouldn't let me come down. And I said, I don't think I can hold on anymore. And he ripped my towel off. Now I'm hanging from the rafter, naked. And I'm like, I need to get down. And I was like, I started to cry. And I was like, get me down, get me down, get me down. And he was laughing at me. I started to cry. Then all the kids started laughing. He finally got me down, right? And he was like holding my towel away from me. Um, and then he was standing by the door. And when I went to go grab the towel, he opened up the door and he pushed me outside and closed the door behind me. Now I'm standing on the porch of the bunk as all the girls are walking towards breakfast and I'm out there naked. And when you're seven, I'm sorry. When I was seven, going through that experience, uh, that was the most embarrassed I've ever been in my life. The one thing that that did for me is I don't do embarrassment. I don't get embarrassed. 
but a lot of my self-conscious uh, struggles uh, image it's weird when I look back on myself uh, my younger self I see myself differently than I, than I saw myself then I see my true self now but back then I thought I was hideous you know I thought not quite the elephant man, but, you know, um, more like Screech from Saved by the Bell. I don't know if they ever show that where you're at, but like, you know, the dorky kind of outcast, which I never was, but I saw myself that way. And it's amazing how childhood experiences that just happen to you, that you have no control over, can mold and shape you. And then you become this individual that you have to unlearn. Like, I have to undo something that I didn't do to myself. Those are the situations that I'm saying we don't choose. They happen. It happened. It was. But how I process that information and allow it to affect my life now, I'm very much in control of that. <clears throat> and I think that that's where the rub is. That's where the real struggle is, is to not let experience circumstance define me write my story but that because of circumstances and sometimes in spite of them I write contrary to what my experience is not from that experience because that's limiting I I only see myself through the filter of what I experienced which it's a very narrow closed in path if, if I'm if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 big time. It's interesting. And I think this is where the hate comes from. I'm not sure. It's just the best I can figure. Truth does not come from the subjectivity of your emotions and experience. Truth lives in, 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 in outside of what your experience tells you. I, I, I really believe that religion separates um, when it's intended to unite, but man perverts it. Mankind, I should say. Um, no processed religions. None whatsoever. Yeah. I like that. No process. No processed. No processed humans. Yeah. No, no processed. Um, no processed foods. No processed thoughts. No processed people. And speaking of which, I think we need to conclude our session today. Oh, are we still recording? I keep forgetting. No, I'm but sorry. in general, I need to go to sleep. Oh, yeah, that's novel. Well, uh, happy rest for you. It must be like 4 o'clock in the morning for me. Oh, wow. it's almost 5. 5, I'm, yeah. I'm so happy and so sorry that I've inconvenienced you. No, not at all. I wouldn't. I would have been doing nothing but thinking in my own head all the wrong thoughts anyway. Now at least I've got the right ones. I'm on the right track. I'm I very really happy. enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon unless that last Bible bit put you off. No, not at all. It's quite hard to put me off. Um, so thank you so much for coming on to the Urban Health Podcast, Keeping Busy People Healthy. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and please edit the bad parts out. <laughs> They're the best bits. Yeah, I, my pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Okay.